Hello and welcome to Young, British and Black, the Naked Politics podcast exploring what it means to be young and black in Britain today. Often young black people's experiences and views are presented as one dimensional or a monolithic experience. Through conversations with ordinary young black British people, we're hoping to paint a picture of the diversity of black British youth today. We'll be discussing the struggles and hurdles facing black youth and also highlighting the incredible joys of being young, British and black. So today I'm joined by Clara, who is 23 years old. How are you doing, Clara? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good, good, good. So let's get into it. Tell me a little bit, it's a nice open question, but tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Where did you grow up and what, what was it like for you? Um, so I was born in Uganda and I moved to this country when I was two. My mum and dad brought me over here. Um, so my dad is mixed heritage. So his father is Italian and his mother is Kenyan. And my mother is Ugandan, but she was born in Britain and then grew up in Uganda. So from a young age, I've been immersed in British culture. I'm Brit- English wasn't my first language. I originally grew up speaking Swahili, um, but I soon quickly forgot that because I was so young and I was immersed in English and went to school. So I English is now my first language, I'd say, which is quite sad, actually, because um, I'm, I often wonder why my parents didn't continue speaking Swahili with me. But that's a story for another day. Um, <laughs> so we grew up in... So they brought us to Cambridge... Um, side and then we moved to Reading Uh, we moved quite a lot as a family so I grew up primary school wise Reading so and I had family on the outskirts of London so I'd always be back and forth between London and Reading and then um, I think when I got to year seven my mum decided that it's it's time for you to have a year in Uganda so I went back to Uganda and spent a year there which was incredible I loved every moment and then I came back for secondary school um, which was in the Midlands so Coventry Birmingham side and I've been in the, around the Midlands so I went to uni at Loughborough and I've been here ever since yeah. Awesome so um, you obviously you said you, you travelled around quite a bit. Have you did you tend to live in areas that were diverse, or where there was a black community, or did you experience spaces that were sometimes quite white? Yes. So because we lived in quite a rural, we live on a farm now, um, and wow. we have done in the past. So that's <laughs> that's a white space completely. Um, you're in a village you are literally the only black people in the village Mm. Um, but never did we ever feel isolated as such because I think as a child you don't really the concept isn't really there Um, but because we had so many cousins and family that lived in London we we were around black spaces quite a lot we had so many black communities to go to so yeah I guess it was a balance yeah that's nice in a way that's it's nice to hear that like you didn't have necessarily too traumatic a time um being in in white spaces and it's nice that you kind of got to experience I guess the more diverse spaces as well I mean did you experience much in terms of like sort of Ugandan um culture in particular being being in Britain or because I feel like a lot of the time most black people here tend to be from Caribbean heritage for obvious reasons or maybe sort of West African heritage yeah so I used to hate the fact that I was black 
and this sounds like really sad but because I was around white people so often and they made me feel like I don't know you know when you just feel insignificant you're so different you like for instance when you go swimming you'd have to wear a swimming cap because you've got to keep your hair nice and dry and then especially if you just treated it or something like that and you just think for goodness sake why can't I have long beautiful you know obviously those feelings have dispersed since I've grown up and I've learned to love myself and my heritage and I think Uganda was a big part of that when I went to Uganda I was because it's really sad that I was so I disassociated myself so much with my African heritage that when I went to Uganda it was a massive culture shock to be black people constantly and it was the most beautiful thing people just enjoying their culture it's such a rich country in terms of food weather it's just beautiful and I don't think the western world has seen that side to a lot of African countries and it's really sad but being in Uganda was the catalyst that allowed myself to love myself a bit more no that's that's beautiful that's really really nice um so what was school like for you as well? Like, I mean, did you enjoy school? Did you feel like you had a positive experience in, within UK education? I don't know if you've got a comparison with other places, but. Um, within the UK, I, I enjoyed primary school a lot. I think when you're younger, you're a bit more naive and everyone's quite friendly. I was quite a sociable person. So I was, I was the type of person that would love to be friends with everyone. And I think it was a similar story when I went to secondary school as well. But with secondary school, I think I had different problems. When you're a preteen and a teenager, you're not really sure of yourself. I think that was the issue, um, especially because my secondary school wasn't really diverse in any way, shape or form. So it's a bit hard to try and find that relevance with my peers as well but I, it was still a positive experience as well yeah and in terms of your like class background would you say you've had quite a sort of middle class middle class upbringing yeah I'd say quite middle class um don't get me wrong my parents struggled to get there but it was and they never let me forget that <laughs> but it was a it was quite a middle class upbringing yeah yeah, I think that's a theme of black parents, so they're not going to let you forget the forget the struggle. Um, do you feel like maybe you've had a because it's it's interesting to think about like blackness in terms of class as well. Do, do you feel like you may have had a different experience because of your class? Do you think you've had a has it one thousand percent? Um, I think a lot of black people that I know, especially my cousins, they grew up they they live in East London so where I live is quite rural we're used to doing things like we're used to do going away to a lot of camps and white areas and white spaces where you go sailing kayaking all oh those types God, of elitist, <laughs> elitist sports if that makes sense yeah. whereas I don't I don't think a lot of black people in the urban area would have been exposed to that if they were in because of their class background etc and yeah it, it it does make a difference do you think it makes do you think Britain as a as a young black person do you think it's easier for you to navigate Britain being a, a more middle class black person do you think it gives you perhaps a level of credibility that working class black kids from the estates or from the ends don't have or, or do to be honest I think 
I think we share extremely similar um, situations and experiences. I think when a white person sees a black person or not just white, but when you see black, mm. it's hard to differentiate. You, you don't really see class. You just see the fact that you've got black skin. So it doesn't matter if I grew up in, I don't know, Buckinghamshire or Hackney. I'm still black at the end of the day. And I think that counts so much more. Yeah, I, it's a hard one, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, listen, there's, there's no right or wrong answers here, obviously. Like, it's, it's whatever you think from from, from your experiences. Um, but that's something I've yeah. heard a lot of people say when they talk about intersectionality. And um, when I've spoken to Black queer people, for example, they've said, like, well, I think I'm a Black person first because that's the first thing people see about me. 100%. Um, so, you know, that's that's definitely something I've, I've heard quite quite a bit before as well. And obviously your experiences as as a black woman um do you feel like you've had a, a different experience to the black men in, in in your life who you've known a million percent um i think being a black woman at university was a bit of i don't want to use the word struggle i think it was something that you had to navigate for instance that i had so many times throughout my life where um because i was surrounded by so many um white people I grew up in a white area they didn't find black girls attractive mm-hmm. you'd feel ugly that I think that's part of the reason why I struggled to love myself because no one saw the beauty in in me if that makes sense I mean your parents will always tell you you're beautiful we love you but there's you, you kind of think well that's a bias you're biased because I'm your child of course you will have to say that um and when I went to university I had so many instances where people would say oh I don't really find you attractive because I don't really find black girls attractive and you won't believe the amount of times I've heard that those that statement it's really sad whereas a black man they're all I think they've almost become fetishized by a lot of different races because they want mixed race children they want those mixed race children with green eyes or blue eyes and blonde hair and I think I also think black men have their attitude towards black women has changed over the time um so yeah I think there are experiences differ in terms of mating and sexuality and etc there's so many different layers to this yeah I always think of um I don't know if you watch it, but I always think of um, Love Island and oh, I yeah. a great example of the way in which black women versus black men are, are seen by sort of the opposite sex. And, you know, in the final this year, they I think they had like three black men. There were more black men than, than white men that made it to the yeah. final. But then in the reverse, like it's really rare to see black women and for a black woman to be in the final. She was there with like three other blonde white women. Um, so it just shows like that that contrast in in perhaps how black women are perceived. That's one of the reasons when I watched this year's Love Island, I mean, I didn't really like this series of Love Island. I think it was a bit boring compared to the other series. <laughs> yeah. But Kaz, the treatment of Kaz was disgusting. Like online, the things that people would say about her, because at first, I'm not going to lie, I was, I think, what a crit- critic as well. I mean, I thought in terms of dark skin representation of black women, um, I thought they could have got someone, it sounds really harsh, a bit, the Kaz is beautiful, don't get me wrong. Um, but I thought they could have got someone more 
beautiful but then that was just me being a little a critique you know when you first see the islanders and you're really yeah. critical of them and then i got to know kaz and her beauty just shone through she's stunning she hilarious she's so the way she executes herself is amazing and i think there was an altercation with her and aaron um in the series the dark-skinned um, um oh, no, sorry the mixed race aaron sorry there was two aarons wasn't there so yeah cool. oh yeah sorry yeah later aaron, later on the new aaron. um i wasn't a fan of either but yeah um <laughs> the, the yes. mixed race um aaron mixed heritage aaron. yeah and when he started on kaz i could feel my defense because i i got emotionally invested because i could imagine myself in kaz's position <laughs> and i think people like faye got away with way more than they should have and i often think if faye was looked like kaz there's no way in hell she'd be on that show anymore she would be and if you look at their followers on Instagram, Faye has a million followers now and Kaz is to see that number. And I just think it's disgusting because in terms of personality, in terms of looks, in terms of charisma, Kaz is up here. Mm. And the disgusting behaviour I've seen from... I, I just get too passionate about it, sorry. No, I just I think, think there's something to be said. I think you're drawing out a really yeah. interesting point, which is, I guess, just the, the double standards in how black women are treated versus white women. I guess particularly Kaz is a dark-skinned black person as well. And it, is that then reflected in your experiences? Do you feel like that's that's something you have a lived experience or understanding of as well then? Yes, 100%. Um and it kills me every time I watch shows like Love Island where the black girl is picked last because I've been in that situation before. Um, and it's really unfair because the girls are stunning. For instance, you one day the year before, stunning, gorgeous, so intelligent, everything you would want in a woman, but they can't get past the skin colour. And that frightens me a lot. Mm. Um, but then I know... I'm a strong believer in what is meant for you is meant for you. So if someone genuinely can't see past your skin colour or doesn't find you attractive because you're black, then that's their loss. Mm, absolutely. And I guess following on from other themes that were also in, in Love Island, we're now going to hinge the whole conversation on Love Island. Um, one of the other things <laughs> I guess that came up, which I think is sometimes part of um, how black women experience um racism as well is is quite a, a strong tinge I guess of, of things like colorism colorism featureism hair texturism oh, God, yeah. things that you feel like have also kind of um colored your experience of of being a black woman um well I have my siblings are all different shades of brown just because my dad's mixed race so my sister's extremely light-skinned and I'm the darkest out of all my siblings so I have felt that they're were times where people have favoured my siblings just because they're lighter. I mean, I don't know whether that's subconscious. And in again, bringing it back to Love Island, the whole Clarice, Kaz situation, um, I do think Clarice's personality was just being a light-skinned Black woman. And she, I don't think she could deal with the fact that a dark-skinned Black woman had been chosen over her. 
I don't know she's been on, I think she's been on her Instagram account to deny these colorism claims, but oh, to really? me as a viewer, it just screams colorism to me. And I don't want to, I, I don't know if privilege, I mean, she's a beautiful woman. She can probably have anyone she wants. And I think she's had that in her head. And I think her ego was hurt more than her feelings. Hmm. Yeah. In that respect, I think. Yeah. And is that a dynamic you, you feel like you kind of experienced yourself and you talked about like you know facing rejection at uni and stuff like that did you feel like it was a bit of a different story maybe for the more racially ambiguous looking yeah because that they're, they're not as um for instance controversial for instance if you bring a mixed race girl home and she can be if she's white passing I think your parents wouldn't be as shocked as say if you bought like a duck black girl home that's like whoa but ironically <laughs> I mean you can imagine I'm, though like the face you know the faces that like that get made of like oh <laughs> yeah but I do think though um my parents generation there wasn't really a word to describe colorism Mm. And I think my parents, when I do have these conversations with my parents, they just think I'm a snowflake, you know, Gen Z generation. We, we, we have to pick at everything. And I have to explain to them that this, this happened when you grew up and, and existed. Colorism has always been there. There just wasn't really a term for it. And it has happened and it's always happened. But I'm not angry. Like, I'm never, ever, ever angry at people who are light skinned. I think they should always be be embraced as part of the black community because I think if you're mixed race, your needs you're you're at a you're you're in no man's land essentially because you might not be embraced as part of the white community and black people don't really embrace you as part of it. So we've just got to embrace everyone, but I do think it is an issue. And I think a really good example is Meghan Markle. She is to me very. I I like Meghan Markle. Um, I'm not sure about yourself, but um, she's white passing. If you didn't know her heritage, she's very white passing, and I think that allowed her to become a part of the royal family, and they welcomed her because you know she wasn't really. For instance, if Lupita Nyong'o got with Harry, mm. I think it it definitely wouldn't have been the same story. So maybe that's a thought, that's a way I could describe colorism to someone who wouldn't understand. Not you think it would be much worse, basically. The situation would have been a lot worse with Meghan Markle. Yeah, I don't think they would have even allowed them to marry. Hmm. Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> even with her situation, the whole thing was still obviously very shocking. Um, so you're right, I can't even... I don't want to contemplate what it would have been like if he brought home. A... But I, I see that's the thing we we don't know we, no. we don't know. But I'd... Hmm. <laughs> so how important is being black in terms of your your identity? Do you feel like it's something quite central to you? Is it not something you think about much? I mean, how, how important is is blackness to you? It's important. It's very important to me. Um, I've been working in a lot of, I, I've been working in offices where I'm the only black person. Mm. And so when I go to work, 
I almost switch that part of me off because I'm interacting in white spaces now. Um, but say, because I'm an actress and performer, presenter, I think my skin colour is really good in terms of getting me jobs. I think a lot of people now want to see more black representation on their television, on stage, on film. Mm. So that's why I think it's important to my identity as an actor. But when I do my day job, because you know how it is to keep in hustling on the side in your day job you have to balance the two (laughs) and I'm not going to be talking to my white colleagues and white co-workers about you know black lives matter or being a black because that's not something that they might be allies but they don't identify with and I wouldn't really seek comfort in that like conversation if that makes sense sure I mean is that hard for you do you feel like you're having to kind of split yourself a little bit and be one version of yourself in one context and another version of different context or is it's, it- exa- it's exhausting yeah it's exhausting you know you have your it got to the point where I really struggled with it in my mental health yeah. um because I felt like people weren't understanding where I was coming from um we hadn't I'll actually tell you a story um in my workplace I no longer work there anymore um but in my old job we it was when Meg, the whole Megan and Harry situation was happening and a white colleague, we had a Zoom, uh, Microsoft Teams call mm. and a white colleague used the N-word um, on our morning meeting. Oh. Um, but she used it in... So to put it into context, she was describing how her mother and her how she grew up and how her mother would call their school uniform um, the n-word brown but she said the full word Yikes. and you know what luckily I wasn't on that call one of my colleagues had told me and one of the colleague that told me she was an Asian girl a young Asian girl mm. and she was disgusted she was so upset that someone felt comfortable enough one of our white senior colleagues felt comfortable enough to use the n-word in a professional context because it makes you think if you can say the n-word in where you have ethnic colleagues Mm. and you can say it with such comfort and you you, no no sort of I don't know the word no regret or just say it without with ease what do you say at home behind closed doors what do you discuss what do you do you know what I mean and that put me on edge immediately and I think I was never the same because all her other white colleagues and all her other white colleagues went straight to her defense she it was taken out of context she didn't mean it and that's the situation where I think damn just being black is just not the right thing right now (laughs) because you you need to decide whether you you pop off on them or you let it go but if you let it go it gives them the reason it gives them they don't understand how it affects you Mm. so that was just an incident where it's exhausting and you feel like you have to um pick your battles very carefully maybe yeah yeah was that was that after the black lives matter movement by the way that kicked off in 2020 after the black lives matter (laughs) um and you know i should have seen these red flags because when i first started um my boss had asked me 
um, this was in a casual conversation. She asked me, oh, what do you think about the Black Lives Matter movement? Right. And I thought, oh, it's a random question. So I, th- I think I just gave a very generic response. Um, and, oh, God, I just, it, it, it gives me trauma just thinking about things. I don't know, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I mean, how did you feel in kind of like the aftermath of of last year in the summer 2020? I know that was quite a difficult time for a lot of fat people. How did how did you how did you feel about things? What did, what did you make of of the kind of sudden I had there was around anti blackness? I had so many mixed emotions. One, I was angry. Um, but then I was really happy that so many people were on board with it and not just black people, so many people from different backgrounds, white, Asian, just a plethora of supporters. But what pissed me off a lot, um, was the idea that it was a trending thing. Put a black post on your Instagram. That's, that, that really angered me because it, it's not going to change anything. You, it's just something a lot of people just jumped on the bandwagon mm-hmm. hashtag black lives matter hashtag where were you when someone was calling me an n-word at school where were you when i was being called monkey where were you when so many other different passive aggressive racially motivated things were happening in my life and in my sister's or family life family's life and no one stood up so that's what i think pissed me off a lot because it was a trend for so many people when in actual facts it was other people's it was people's real life and it's just coming to light because of an incident that happened um and white people were so keen to be our allies which was incredible but at the same time where's that support I don't see that support as much now yeah do do you feel like there was kind of like a sense of moral panic maybe from a lot of of white people but yes yeah a lot yeah yeah and so you don't really feel like it trans- but that's a good thing as well yeah yeah um so do you I mean one of the things I wanted to I guess to pick out with you on this I guess is do you do you have any idea of what types of things you wish that white people or maybe anybody who's not black um would do or can do to support anti-racist movements i mean do you have any thoughts about that or even just like in your day in your daily life not necessarily being an activist or anything like that um just listen when someone tells you i don't find what you've done good or supportive or i think it's quite ignorant just stop and listen because i think a lot of people um, when black people call other people out, they think, oh, you're calling me a racist. I'm not racist. I've got, you know, I'm, my friend is black. <laughs> We're not calling you a racist. Because <laughs> that's also a strong word. We've all done things out of ignorance that we, you know, it's, it can be just genuine, pure ignorance. There's nothing malicious intended in it. So just stop and listen. Don't be on the defensive. Um, just be kinder that's all yeah yeah and thinking a bit beyond I guess just individual people's actions in terms of like the bigger picture like things like um 
what governments can do. Are there any particular like policies that you think really harm or hurt the black community or maybe certain sections of the black community that you would like to see change? So an obvious example might be something like stop and search, um, the way yeah. black men get over police, for example. Are there any kind of like policy areas where you'd be like, if we change this, this could make a massive difference to the black community and how we live our lives? 100%. I think in terms of police presence, um, I think they need to recruit more. They need to diversify the police force, first of all. Um, I think that's easier said than done, obviously, it, because a lot of ethnic people don't really want to be a part of the police force, especially in Britain. Um, I do think stop and searches need to be conducted in a more um, transactional way. So you need for instance, two police officers present, because as soon as it becomes one-on-one, -on -one, it's their word against yours. I think we need to normalise um, black people having cameras. Well, police will have dash cams usually, um, but they need to definitely have body cams. I think we need to teach young black people how to react to being stopped by the police, because that, that's not something that's really taught. I was recently stopped um, by the police when I was driving, and mm -hmm. Although I, although I know I'd done completely nothing wrong, I think it was just a routine search. Um, you can't help but your heart goes because you think, oh my God, you think of all these different scenarios, you're a young black woman being stopped by the police, what's going to happen? This first thing is to remain calm. Um, so just teach people how to react to being stopped by the police, how to make sure to de-escalate. I know it's really sad that you have to teach someone how to do that, but that can be the difference between you being handcuffed and something terrible happening to you, to you then just being be able to, you know, walk free. I don't know. I just, I think it's one thing that I do think is really important is housing, especially in big cities. Um, access to good housing for ethnic minorities, people who are of low income families. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do think one of the main problems though, is people don't want to go out of London or big cities where like Manchester, Birmingham, London, people don't want to venture out because of the fear of it, you know, being like uh, too rural for them when that's not the case. I think black people are too scared just because of that being in like a, the minority again. And I think we need to like branch out a bit more because life isn't all in London or Manchester in these big cities there is life outside of them so yeah and do you support um ideas because because one of the key kind of points of the, of the Black Lives Matter movement because it's it's very much fueled by police brutality do you agree with any of the sentiments around the idea of like defunding the police for example and putting more money into social services or communities or police abolition even which I guess is a Oh God! A step, uh, a step even much further, I would say, than, than yeah. the police as well. Do you agree with any of those ideas at all, or you don't know? It's okay if you don't know, but because <laughs> they're complex. But yeah, I personally don't think we should. I don't think defunding the police is going to solve the issue, because I think the police force, the police force in the UK isn't as bad as in other countries what i've from my personal experience i think the police force in the uk we need the police so we need to i think it's all about training 
regulation, making sure they understand the law a bit more. Because what baffles me is how can a lawyer spend four years, five years at university studying the law, but a police officer doesn't have that same amount of training and you're enforcing the law? So I do think educate. I think the training process and the way you become a police officer needs to be more rigorously tested in terms of your the knowledge about inside and outside the law. I think it's all about training, personally. See, but I do think a lot more money needs. Yeah, sorry. No, no. You you carry on. Finish that thought. I I think I'd also a lot more funding needs to go into more. Um, so people from ethnic backgrounds training to be doctors, nurses, um, solicitors, so more funding in terms of education in that respect. And I think there are a lot of charities and government policies that do encourage people from diverse and ethnic minority backgrounds to do so, but maybe it be broadcasted a bit more. I'm not sure. Cool. So you're kind of more along the lines of, like the police are, are reformable, like we can make changes um, to make yes. better rather than taking money out of it or not have it, not yeah, really lying on a police force. And um, I think it'd be really good to pick your brain a bit about education as well, particularly as a young person, and you've probably not long been out of education to be fair. Um, so, I mean, are there any kind of big um, changes that you would love to see in the world of education, in the curriculum? Obviously there's been a lot of chat around sort of understanding things like the British Empire, like part of our history and all that type of stuff. Um, and I guess you have a, a generational connection to it from some of your heritage um, as well, as do I. Um, so yeah, do, do you have any thoughts around like educationally, like what can we be doing to better support young people um, around these types of things? I think the curriculum definitely needs to change. Um, um, it sounds really ignorant, not ignorant, but it sounds, it's a bit bold of me to say, but I'm sick and tired of reading the same literature textbooks in school. Um, it's all from white males perspective. There's some white females in the mix, um, but we need to see um, more ethnically diverse writers because they're out there and they have incredible works of literature. We need to see, history needs to be, taught from a colonialism perspective that's never taught I never I never I had to learn about the Windrush generation from my own accord my own interest um we funnily at university we had a module called gender um gender studies in playwriting and not once did we ever study um gender from different parts of the world so we never studied gender in Asia we never studied gender in Africa because gender around the world is completely different an Afghanistan's woman a female Afghanistan will experience will differ completely to an American woman or a British woman a Chinese woman's experience will differ to an Australian woman mm. or a Kenyan woman it's those types of narratives that need to be pushed we need to study poetry we need to not be afraid. How many times did you ever study of mice and men? I missed that in school because I've never okay. heard amazing things about it. Um, but yeah, oh, <laughs> no, I haven't. But I know lots of people do study of mice and men. It's one of those books that most people read at GCSE, right? It's the most tired piece of literature I've ever <laughs> written. We need to see more. Um, ever read? Sorry, not written. We need to read 
books from I'm tired of reading books from the 1950s, from the 1960s, although they're important and they are prominent pieces of literature, we need to be reading literature from people, more contemporary writers. Yeah. Um, it's so important because it gives children and young adults a platform to discuss very important issues. For instance, the 90 I don't know we had a I studied literature at school and we studied World War One and poetry in World War One as beautiful and moving as it was I didn't identify with it and I didn't relate to it and that's fine for one module but all my modules were things I never related to or had do you know what I mean and yeah. so and I think a lot of children in my class, regardless of their gender or ethnicity, they didn't find that because it's such a long time ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's important to keep that alive. But again, more contempt. I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Kite Runner. I know of it. Yeah, I've never read it, actually. No. Such an amazing book. And it talks about issues that you would never, ever think happen in the world and another book I read was A Thousand Splendid Sons yeah. I don't know if you've read that or heard of it yeah um, and yeah that moves me to the, my core and it actually made me understand the situation in Afghanistan that much more and it made me sympathize with those who are fleeing the Taliban and who have to escape that situation if you studied it in school you'll have less ignorant comments flying around that why are they letting in do you know what I mean education is one of the most important platforms and ways to battle ignorance racism homophobia it is so important and I I really cannot stress that enough yeah definitely so, yeah. Agree. and um I was gonna say something now but it's escaped my head I was gonna say as well um often I don't know if this was the case when you were still at school but when I was at school and you read stuff like To Kill a Mockingbird which is about racism is about oh, um, but it's, ob it's obviously very much through the eyes of a white writer and most of the main characters are white yeah. and it's it's got that kind of like white saviory element to it as well so even when you do read about 100%. racism or you read like Othello you know that's that's again it's constructed through the eyes of, of, a, of a white author right um which makes it a, a bit of a difference from when you read like yeah. an actual black poet or, or author right yeah um so my final question then is my favorite question of the whole podcast which is what brings you joy as a young black British person it can be a can be another person could be another thing can be something serious can be something totally like infantile I just, <laughs> yeah what brings you joy I think black culture I'm gonna generalize here but music food family black people are funny I don't think <laughs> anyone realizes how funny like I will go to my aunties, my cousins, and I will literally be in stitches because they are just so funny. Like my mum, she cracks me up. My siblings, there's a type of banter that you have in like a, a black family that I haven't seen anywhere else in like all my other like friends groups. Do you know what I mean? It just brings me joy. Music, you know, you're at a good party when the music is popping, like you can have a good time. 
just let loose food as well oh my god any food gathering that you have the food is going to be top notch we know how to season our food that brings me joy do you know what I mean yes (laughs) oh well that was wonderful I mean food music and laughter are all good things to be joyous about um so thank you so much for joining me um clara thank you so much to my guest clara for being part of the naked politics podcast young british and black